So finishing up this series called Legacy, we as a church, every single year, sometimes in November or sometimes in December, depending on things, we devote ourselves to this series called Legacy. Uh, we believe as a church that it's important for us to take giant steps of faith toward what God is calling us into. Many times, you know, God has shown or shined a light on or revealed to us certain things that we believe he's calling us into or that we believe there's great need for. And so we begin to pray and ask God, like, Lord, is that what you're asking us? to take a giant step for. And then when he says yes, when he commissions it, we, we put it in this legacy offering. We call it our legacy miracle offering because it always ends up being miraculous. God always does above what we could ask, think, or imagine when we obediently come together in unity and, uh, and, and sow a seed. And so we also, as a church, you know, we don't really want to be the church that, that's always asking for money or always, you know, doing the, the, the women's ministry bake-off or the, you know, student ministry car wash. Always, we try to keep things in, in a few spheres. We have our hand-to-hand uh, outreach center, and then we do our one-for-one jar each month, and then we have our miracle offering. And uh, part of the reason that we specifically uh, focus on this miracle offering is because we see this kind of giving in Scripture. You see that God's called us to tithing, 10% of your income you can find in Scripture. But then you also see that God calls you to give an offering where from time to time, uh, maybe spontaneously or, or God's put someone on your heart and you give above your, your 10% and, and maybe you give to an event or to a person or someone in a grocery store. You're, you're giving an offering uh, out of what God has been giving you. But then there's times in Scripture where... God calls you to what Robert Morris, Pastor Robert Morris calls like an extravagant gift or a, uh, he calls it sometimes a, a painful offering where you're like, oh man, this is really a, this is really a thing. And you see that in scripture and there's always great breakthrough on the other side of extreme sacrificial giving. Can I get an amen? So many of you have said, man, I, I, I didn't, I know God calls to do it and I wasn't sure how it was going to work and we did it. And then tremendous breakthrough and, and miracle fruit came on the other side of it. And so we as a church want to be a people who put ourselves in position to sacrifice at a high level. They say that 4% of churches, uh, only 4% of American churches are reproducing or multiplying, meaning they've gotten complacent. They've gotten into a comfortable position where they say, you know what, we can just make this thing coast. We can just continue to get by. But we want to be a church that advances and takes ground. Can I get an amen? Not for our own sake. And that's why this miracle offering will never go to like ourselves. It'll never go to a staff salary. It'll never go to regular budget things. It's always when we go, okay, we want to take ground in a big way. We want to stand in the gap and step in in an area in a big way. And so it'll never go toward budget stuff, printer paper, pens, regular functions. It's always us saying, hey, we need to step in in a big way. And so we've identified that this year, our teenagers, our 6th through 12th graders, they need a church to come in and step in and stand with them in a big way. Can I get an amen? The things that they're facing and the things that are being... Uh, promoted to them and, and put in their life uh, are things that, in my opinion, are inhumane. They're, they're emotional things that kids are having to deal with, whether it be in school or online. But the pressures and the statistics and the things that they're facing emotionally, psychologically, they aren't built to have to face those alone. Are you with me? Honestly, they're not even built to face them in general. It's anti-science. It's anti. It's not human. Some of the things that are saying, hey, have you considered these that has been put in front of our teenagers? Well, no, I shouldn't consider those things because it's ridiculous. <laughs> That's another sermon for another day. I'm trying to keep myself on Facebook. <clears throat> so what needs to happen? Well, the church needs to step in and talk about absolute truth and God's foundation and God's promises for their lives and God's protection and God's order and God's structure. Are you with me? And when they're walking through all this craziness, they need to hear that there's a perfect love that casts out all fear. Are you with me? 
You're not meant to carry this all alone. And so the body is going to come in and take care of what needs to be taken care of. So we're stepping in in a big way as a church to stand with our students. And it's going to be a sacrifice. And so you say, well, Pastor, what does that specifically mean you're stepping in? Well, uh, they meet just down the hallway. Uh, and real, you know, COVID was really hard on our teenage group as far as trying to find times to use the building and get people together. But we have a great space just down the hallway where we really want to renovate it. We really want to set it up to be an excellent place for young people to come and hang out and connect with each each other and hear God's truth and have people to talk to. Uh, we said a couple of weeks ago, we said that uh, if the church isn't a place where students can come and talk about stuff, then they're going to go to places in the world and ask their questions and they're going to get answers that we don't want them to hear. They're going to get answers that don't line up with the way and the word of God. Are you with me? And so we got to build environments where they can come and talk with and wrestle through some of these things that they're going through. We said it like this, if the church isn't the first one to talk about it, if some other place is the first person to talk about some things, then they say statistically everyone else who comes after the first works that much harder to tear down what was first set by the first. So the church needs to be the first place that talks about identity. Are you with me? The first place that teenagers need to hear about their purposes and their future needs to come from the house of God. Amen. And I'm so grateful for our kids ministry that that's starting at a young age because I believe that there is no junior Holy Spirit. There's not age ranges to the, the power of God that can live on the inside of a young person. So I'm grateful that our kids get it at a young age, but we need to make sure that that bridge is maintained from elementary and kidsmen all the way into adults. Are you with me? And so we're saying, hey, we're going to step in and do this, which is actually pretty interesting because in the church world right now, when it comes to conferences and consulting, they're actually beginning to tell pastors and churches, hey, uh, you've got to let the student ministries genre of your church go because it's a dead ministry. There's no such thing as student ministries. It's a dead ground. You, you can't do anything with that. It's impossible. And part of the reason they're saying that it's impossible is because the data shows it's hard to even put it on a calendar because back in the day, you remember I shared this last week, back in the day when you grew up, some of you that are a little bit older, uh, public schools used to respect Wednesday nights, right? It was like a Awana night and everybody had church night. And so we didn't have sports on Wednesday nights. We didn't have activities because, you know, that was like the church group night or Sundays. Hey, Sundays is the church day. And now we have traveling leagues and we got sports all the time and we got all this stuff that's getting in the way. And so where do you even put student ministries in an excellent way? The other thing that we're seeing is parents, you know, parents hardly come to church themselves. Amen. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Parents hardly come to church themselves. Now you're asking them to come back another time during the week and bring their students. You got to drop them off and pick them up. And where am I going to put that during the week? And so between there's not a great place to do it, but then also parents aren't prioritizing bringing their youth, which isn't going to happen here. Can I get an amen? So they're, they're saying, just, just let it go. Let, let the teenagers pick up whatever they can pick up on a Sunday morning. And, and they're just saying, you got to let it go. But I'm just crazy enough to believe. If statistics say it's dead, I believe God still works wonders in valleys and wildernesses and with dry bones. I believe that God can take what they're saying is dead and bring it back to life. Not just because I care about them in their present condition, but I also care about what their present condition, when they find out the truth and the power that God's called them to walk in, I believe what God can do with them in their future. Generational impact, if we can stand in the gap with this generation. And so we're going to make it a priority as a church to say, not in this house, it's not dead. Are you with me? We're going to stand up and we're going to stand in and we're going to support and we're going to give sacrificially because we're going to come alongside young people and we're going to see a big difference made. We say it like this. The great use of life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. 
Uh, I shared in the opening of last week's sermon. Uh, we have some financial data in last week's sermon, too. So if you missed it, uh, you'll go back and hear a little bit more about how we're structured financially. If you have some questions about our miracle offering and how things function, you can find that in last week. But last week, we shared about uh, how we believe this, uh, that legacy is a word we hear all the time. I was talking about how I heard a podcast, and they were talking about the, the legacy of Steve Jobs. Oh, Steve Jobs, maybe the Apple guy, for those of you that don't know. Um, nobody's going to leave a bigger thumbprint on this world than what Steve Jobs did because the, the, the advancement of the smartphone and it's changed the world and how we do everything. And so the smartphone and they were talking about legacy, legacy, legacy. Of, and last night, if you watched the Heisman Trophy Award, college football stuff, you would hear them talking about, oh, the legacy of this player and that player and this school and legacy, legacy. And all those things are fine for the here and now. But how many know they have a shelf life? The legacy of the Heisman Trophy is not going to make a difference when it comes to eternity. As much as I love my iPhone, it's not going to make a difference when it comes to eternity. Can I get an amen? But you have the opportunity to make decisions here today with your life that will impact eternity and generations to come and legacy in heaven. And so let's spend our effort on things that are eternal. Can I get an amen? That's why we say it like this. Any generation that is unwilling to sacrifice reduces the inheritance of the next generation. So if we live our lives saying right now, like, I'm good, I'm going to hold on, I'm good with what I got, I'm going to keep it to me, just know that you're costing a next generation. God gave it to you so that you could give it. The scripture says that he supplies seed to the sower. It's given to you so that we can give it and invest it and plant it and grow it. Amen. We say this all the time. We say, tomorrow is promised to no man. So you better be careful. You better be right with the Lord because you might find yourself in a car crash and you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So tomorrow's promised to no man. But the reality of the scripture is that tomorrow is promised to none of us. If we don't plant today, we can't guarantee a harvest tomorrow. We can't look forward to God moving and God doing something and, and God advancing in the future if we don't take the time to stick it in the ground now. Are you with me? If we don't plant today, we don't harvest tomorrow. The reality about you sitting in this room right now is this, you are sitting today in what was planted in a yesterday. You are the fruit of somebody sacrificially saying, hey, we're going to sow and we're going to invest and we're going to believe that God's going to do something in Zealand. If, if this church means anything to you, if you've been ministered to by this in any capacity, it's because somebody sowed a seed which grew into you being here and being blessed. Because tomorrow's promise to no man, if we don't plant today, we don't harvest tomorrow. And so the story of this church is people sacrificially giving above and beyond so that we can see harvest in future days. And so we're actually going to have some fun right now. We're going to go through God's faithfulness and God's blessing through the years of legacy and how God has made an impact on this church. So short story is this. Jess and I are uh, youth pastors and campus pastors of a campus in Detroit, and, uh, and it's become very dysfunctional. As a matter of fact, there's some things happening in the church because uh, uh, there was multiple campuses where I literally had said to Jess, like, we can't stay here. Like, I, in good conscience, can no longer be involved in this staff structure and the decisions that are being made. However, we weren't prepared <laughs> to make a change. We weren't prepared to move. We actually thought we'd be there long term and, uh, and take over the campus and see God move. And, and uh, there was some, some good things happening. But we had got to this point where, like, hey, you know, for integrity reasons, we need to move on. The trouble with it was we weren't set up well to go do something else. We had just had our firstborn child, Caroline, and she's three months old, so we're new parents. We don't have any money in the bank. We, we haven't made plans to start a church or go do anything else. And so we're saying, God, we know that you're calling us to take a step, but, but you, know, you know, this isn't very well planned or thought out. And so we're saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? And we're feeling like God's telling us to come back here and start a church. 
At the same time, I was offered the opportunity uh, to go be a pastor in California. Zealand, California, you know. Uh, really, no one wants to live in California, right? I did at the time, but... So we're wrestling. We're wrestling like, okay, God, God, what what would you want us to do? And so God made it clear through different prophetic words and people speaking into our lives that this was our move to come home. And again, we're not we're not prepared. This isn't like an excellent plan, but we're saying, God, we're we're willing to sacrifice. We're ready to go all in. Are you with me? So we moved back home to my parents' home, which uh, is the farmhouse that we kind of grew up in. So all of a sudden I find myself, we leave the church in March. Uh, we move back here, and uh, all of a sudden I find my wife and myself and uh, our firstborn uh, like living in my brother's old bedroom is what we're doing. And like, okay, this is something. And, uh, but we're saying, all right, God, we, we trust you. We believe that you're going to build something great. And, uh, and so we, we hook up with this organization called ARC the Association of Related Churches, and they're a church planting group. And so some ministry friends of mine said, hey, go connect with ARC. They really coach you. They spend millions of dollars on what it takes to start a church and sustain a church and give you all this advice. And they work with multiple denominations, but they're primarily a a spirit-filled, non-denominational organization. And they say, this is what we believe a life-giving church should look like. As a matter of fact, we're church number 374 that they've planted. So they got a whole bunch of healthy churches that they've planted. And, um, and so we said, okay. So what that meant for us to go get trained was uh, meant we went down to Alabama. And so we left our church in March. And uh, in the summer, I think it was late July, uh, we went down and got our training. Uh, here's some of the training. You can see we sat uh, at a workshop uh, for like three days in a row. We would get training and, and information and things like that. But aside from the information, what I loved about this group was they really cared about making sure we would succeed, that we would be um, healthy in the kingdom of God. And so they checked your ministry history. So they checked all the different places that you had been at and, you know, talked to other churches you served at. And, and so that was great. And then they, um, so they would do that. And then financial history, because they help plant you with some money and they do some matching funds based on what you raise. They, they go through your financial, want to make sure you're a good steward so that God can bless it. Because how many know God can't bless your ministry if you're not a good steward with your resources? Can I get amen? And, uh, and so they go through that. And then this was the crazy one. Uh, we spent an entire day uh, where they thoroughly go through your marriage. And, uh, and, and some of you won't even see a counselor for one hour, let alone spend a whole day with them picking on you, right? That's my nudge for you to say, some of you need to go talk to some people and get some help. Amen. <laughs> okay, no, see, I told you you resist it. So they said, all right, we're going we're gonna to make sure you're healthy. We're going to check on you. You know, we're, we want to go through this thing. So you got a whole day that you're going to go there, and they're going to go through all this stuff. And, uh, and so, you know, I, like we have a great marriage, and, and I'm not worried about anything. But just like you would, on the way, you're kind of going like, um, hey, so if we get a question like this, how are you going to answer it? <laughs> so you're like, you're making sure you're good. And so this is what I love about this organization. We get there, and then they separate you. So I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. This is fine. <laughs> so they separate you, and they roll out these, these questionnaires for you. And you would think a questionnaire from a church organization would be like, hey, do you and your wife resolve conflict well? You'd be like, yes, that's a pretty easy answer. We do. Uh, no. Their questions were, do you and your wife have a predetermined plan on how to go about resolving conflict according to scripture? If so, please explain. And I'm like, uh, can I text her real quick? <laughs> like, I just wrote on all my answers, see Jessica's answer. <laughs> just whatever she said is what we do. But I loved it because it was thorough. It was thorough. They really cared about us launching well. And so uh, we went down and we got great training. We felt really encouraged. And uh, it was it was. It was 
miraculous territory for us. It took great sacrifice. And here's why I know it was a great sacrifice, because look at this odometer. For us to go down to Alabama, go ahead and throw that one up there. Uh, this is what we endured. Uh, this is the minivan. So we drove all the way to Alabama, but here's how we drove there. We drove there with a three-month-old baby, maybe five-month-old at that time, my wife, and we needed help, so we brought my mother-in-law. So that's the amount of time we spent in the van in that scenario. So let me reset that for you. 32 hours, 33 minutes, and 19 seconds with a five-month-old, my wife, and my mother-in-law. This church was off to a treacherous start. Tremendous start. <laughs> Tremendous start. Tremendous. It was great sacrifice. Can you get it? That was fun. It was part of it. So we get back. We get back and we say, okay, we feel encouraged. And uh, they say that it takes a year to plant a church. They say it takes about one year uh, from, from the vision to, to your first day. Well, we felt God was calling to us to start in January. And so our very first public meeting, supposed to take a year, our very first public meeting was the last Sunday of August. I think maybe there's one on there. Uh, and, so, and so we said, okay, here's where we're going public. And we, uh, this is what's amazing. This is what we did. We, we said, hey, because we didn't have anybody on the team. We said, hey, we want to start a church. We want to do this thing. So we started having what's called launch meetings. We had no one on the team. I wasn't even sure if Jess was going to be on the team. Okay. And so we, we started meeting in this room. We didn't know where we'd be in this facility. We just used this as a rent space. So we did things like this. We had these launch meetings and we had caramel apple bars and hot chocolate bars and all these kind of things. And we started advertising. Here's what's nuts. I can't believe we did this. We actually advertised for people. I think you can see it there. A new church coming to the lakeshore. We actually posted that we were launching a church on Facebook and check this out. Craigslist. I actually had Craigslist ads for people to come help us start a church. Yeah, and, uh, and it went like this. It went like this. It was like, hey, Craigslist. It was like, they told you when you're launching a church, like, hey, you know, you're going to have to work with some people. You're not really sure. And uh, it's like, you know, okay. And so as you're kind of vetting people and checking people out on the background, you're like, all right, okay, so um, can't, can't have any drug dealers. Um, let's define that. Did you deal drugs today? <laughs> Let's not talk about last night. Like, did you, are you drunk right now? <laughs> okay, you're in. We'll let you on the team. Great. I'm just kidding. I'm exaggerating. But seriously, we, we just put ourselves all out there. And, uh, and then the team began to build. It was amazing that it started to come together. And there was a passion for a new church and a new way of doing it and getting out of religiosity. Can I get an amen? And so you'll see this next picture here. People begin to come together. This is the room. And before anything that you see, lights, any of these things, we didn't have any of that stuff. Um, that wasn't even our Christmas tree. It was just here. But the wall had like old hospital wallpaper before it ever got painted gray. That was stuff we were able to be a part of to do later. It was peeling. Like I'm up there talking, the wallpaper is just separating. And I'm sitting here going like, how are we going to get people? There's all these beautiful churches in town. How are we going to get people to come to a church where the old hospital wallpaper is peeling and all this? But it was because people sacrificially gave and people sacrificially invested of themselves and, and God brought fruit in it. Are you with me? So we met and we began to talk about what it would look like. And I just remember some of these launch meetings. I would be, each week I would get up and I'd be like, all right, I got to tell the team where we're at. And so I'd get up here and I'd be like, well, we don't know where we're meeting. We still don't have any money. <laughs> we still don't know. And each week I'd give a report of like, here's what we're still believing for. And I'd remind them, but we're launching in January. And people would keep coming and they would keep sacrificing and they would keep building and, and uh, amazing things happened. And so uh, one of the next steps is on Black Friday. So we met like this for several Sunday nights. And then on Black Friday uh, is the first time we swung a hammer to do renovations. 
So Black Friday, and we were launching the second Sunday in January. And, uh, and so this right here is our kids' ministry space. And uh, if you go upstairs and you go into the kids' ministry space, you'll notice some of this still looks like this. Um, what's amazing about this is you can picture it as the old hospital. If you walk straight to where that sort of uh, angled line is there, that was literally the doctor's office like glass window. So a lady would open it up, how can I help you? I'm here for my appointment. And, uh, and so literally we just were still renovating an entire old hospital. Here's what's crazy about this. People come to the launch meetings like, who wants to help change the world? People are like, yeah, I want to change the world. This is going to be awesome. Cool. Meet us on Black Friday because we're going to demo all these walls. And it's going to be the worst because you can't actually open the windows on the second floor and throw them in a dumpster. We have to carry all of this out by hand. Who wants to change the world? Okay, get a sawzall and cut up that metal and carry it outside. And asbestos and hospital guts and all these things are, you know. Uh, I won't even get into half of that. But people sacrificially... Blood, sweat, tears. Are you with me? Because this sacrifice is how God just, he adds to it. And so we had to take it all out the elevator. And then this is just weeks before launch. Look at the next one. Uh, weeks before launch, carpets going in. And I remember uh, we had a carpet company. I won't say the name, but um, they were set to have everything done before our launch day. And they called us like on Friday and our first day was Sunday. And they were like, hey, uh, got all the carpet down, but want to let you know we're not going to get any of the base trim on. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> uh, no, no, that wasn't the deal. We have a mailer. Go ahead and show them the mailer. Uh, uh, we really need that base trim on there because we've invited 50,000 people to be here on Sunday. <laughs> Literally, we sent a mailer to like 50,000 people. Some of your names are in that pile. Some of you, many of you still have come to this church because you received one of our mailers. And so, and so just all this crazy, but people sacrificially just efforted and worked and prayed and worshiped and just built it. And so I want to show you a quick highlight video of our first day. These are the results. We had this great launch in a full room and people got saved. And I mean, you saw the video, right? I'm sitting here going like, why, why did people show up? We, we got nothing on stage. It doesn't look good. I look like a weirdo. Why are people coming to this? Why are you laughing at that? I was like... <laughs> Did I look like I did? Yeah. And it just, well, what happened is God honors it when our hearts are in the right place. When you, when, you, when you passionately care about something and you pray the price. That's why I know if we sacrifice for this generation, if we stand in the gap, it might not look perfect. It, look, it might not look like that. But if we sacrificially give and we care and I put our heart in it, God will show up in it. Can I get an Amen. So the thing about the mailer is uh, you invite literally the entire, we did like this whole area, Holland, Zealand, we, 50,000 homes all got invitations, but on the back of the invitation, you set up like four weeks of what's going to happen. So like we join us week one and week two, and here's these things. And so we had this going out and it was like really important that we hit all the things and the launch of this. And so then uh, I think in the third week, second or third week of our church, we had just launched all of a sudden complete witchcraft broke out against our church. I mean, the gates of hell stormed this place. Look at this picture. Boom. <laughs> Have you ever seen so much demonic activity? <laughs> this so happens to be the polar vortex. Do you guys remember that? It was our third week as a church. What you see here is, see that stop sign? That's how much snow is on the side of the road on my way to church, believing that people are going to come to church. We mailed 50,000 people the opportunity to come. Like we got to the church building and the snowplow people just put piles all over the parking lot because they were like, surely no one's stupid enough to do anything at this building today. Well, we were. We did. I remember praying for church that morning, like, oh, Lord, send the people. We want to make a difference in our community. And at the same time on the TV, the police were ticker were on the bottom of the TV saying, do not drive today. I'm like, Lord, send them. And the cops are like, don't send them. 
don't go. And we still had over 150 people show up on that day and people connecting with our church. Again, there's many people I could tell you that are a part of our church. They came on that crazy day and got connected with. And, uh, and so just the adversity, but people still showed up and shoveled snow and made a way for people to come. And, and it's been amazing because sacrificially God honors it. I remember months later as, or just weeks later after we launched, we had team building meetings where it was like, okay, hey, we're a church now. We got established. And of these new people that came, we'd love to get you to be a part of the team. In the beginning, you're like, oh, you know, we're going to launch. We, you know, we can set out like a dozen chairs and that would be amazing if we can get 10 more people on the team. This will make a difference. And then all of a sudden, rooms full of people showed up to be a part of what God was doing here. Like I said, you saw the video. We weren't impressing anybody. But people were showing up because our hearts were in the right place and people were making sacrifices. Are you with me? That picture's of Vanessa, our children's director. They just moved back from North Carolina and they were looking for a church to go to and they saw the mailer. She had no idea that by saying yes to the call of God on her life, the incredible fruit that would be seen in people's lives, the generations of lives that would be changed through her ministry. How many of you are grateful for Vanessa, Vanessa and our kids' ministry, right? She never, she wasn't a church staffing hire, you know. She wasn't somebody that we found on a church thing. She's somebody who said yes to the ask of, hey, would you help us make a difference in a generation? Are you with me? And so she's stepping in, and she's, for the first time, taking this sacrificial thing. And remember, I told you in the beginning, at that point, we had to take anyone we could get. She was a Spartan grad. We were just taking what we Just kidding. We love her. But it was amazing to see people come together and advance this thing and sacrificially give and watch it grow. Another thing for us that was really significant in the first year of our church was uh, as a church plant, you don't, uh, you don't have a lot of money, right? You're just trying to make it. You're hoping you can pay rent and do the things that you need to do. But God was blessing us. And so we were uh, really in a situation where we, we needed to make a purchase, a big one, uh, for new church chairs. Uh, some of you know this story, but uh, we the chairs that we used in this room prior to these were old, old, like late 80s hospital chairs. And they were nasty orange, nasty yellow, and this lima bean green and, and they were horrible. I always explained it to people that, oh, gosh, yeah, you come to our church and you walk in, and it looks like a pot pie threw up in here. <laughs> and we would try all the ways that we could to make it work. We're like, let's do a whole section green, a whole one yellow. Whole one. No, that looks stupid. All right, let's try this. It just never looked right. And they were hard and plastic, and they were loud, and it was just the worst. And so we're like, all right, each month we're, we're saving money. We're saving money. Oh, we're going to get these new chairs, and they're going to be cushioned, and people are going to be so blessed by these. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're saving and saving and then I get a letter from the city of Zealand, and it's just this letter to basically every resident or whatever, and, uh, and it says, like, uh, hey, it's on the heart of the city of Zealand to create and build a splash pad. I know many of you have enjoyed the splash pad, and they just said, uh, if you would like to sponsor it or be a part of it, uh, we have a vision to see this city be a place where families come together and, you know, they can hang out. And so I get this letter, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, man, I feel like the Lord is telling me to give our chair money to the city. I know this is crazy. I know that's not like real ministry, a splash pad, but, but we're early on in our churches. But I'm also over here like, gosh, we really need chairs. It's really hurting us. There's all these beautiful churches in town, and people come through these doors like, oh, my Lord. People sanitize them before they even sit on them. You know? and, uh, and, I, and I said, I feel like the Lord is really telling us we should give all of our chair money to the splash pad. 
kind of a weird thing, right? But I just felt, no, and as I'm talking to the team and I'm talking to the board, I was like, I think we should do this with this money. And the team's like, yeah, I think we should do it too. So we put it all together and we fill out all the paperwork. We send it to the city and uh, we don't think much more of it. And then I get a call from the city. It's like, this is Pastor Josh. I'm like, yes, who's asking? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then they say, hey, this is the city and uh, we see your paperwork and we saw that you sent this check. And um, we just want to make sure that you meant to do this and this is accurate and that you really, this is what, like, what your plan was. I was like, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, we love this city. We're here for this city. We just started a church in this city. We care about it like you care about. And they said, oh, okay, we just want to make sure because you're the only church who gave to this. Little old vertical, little old five-month-old said, hey, we want to be a part of that. Go ahead and throw the next slide. This is like the list of donors. You can go there now and see us amongst all the other businesses and all the other things. We, we wanted our city to know, like, no, we care. We're invested. We care about what you care about. Can I get an amen? So we started to establish ourselves as a church that loves our city. We say it like this all the time. We say, uh, would, if, if your church closed tomorrow, would your city even know it? And the answer would be, hopefully, they would know it. Hopefully, you're so connected and have an impact, and your church just isn't thriving within its own four walls. Hopefully, it's making an impact. And so what it began to do for us was start an incredible relationship with our city. Now we get calls from different people and say, hey, could you be a part of this? Could you help us with that? And we, we help pack things for the races down there. And we've been involved in the parades. And basically, our church in the city of Zealand are friends. What an amazing thing for the city to say, oh, yeah, Vertical, call them. They would love to help. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Can I get an amen? So a huge staple for us as a church. And then that began to grow on. We got connected with a ministry called Kids Hope. Kids Hope is a ministry in our public schools. Uh, Pre-COVID, this is amazing, pre-COVID at Woodbridge Elementary, we had so many of our vertical church members mentoring at the school that Monday to Friday, basically any time you went through the doors, you would cross another vertical church member. That's how many people we had mentoring in the public schools, being a help to our public school, helping these kids who need a little bit of extra attention. And so Kids Hope was a huge boom for us. It opened the door for us to be able to do events in the school. I know many of you were a part of them. And so we were establishing ourselves uh, as a church that loves its city. And the way that that came was through some of our legacy offerings and some of our miracle offerings and some of us sacrificing year after year. I was telling Doug when we were trying to pick all the things to talk about. Honestly, I could do a series like this and just share pictures and tell stories week after week after week. These are just some that we've narrowed it down to. But the miracle offering is so many things for us. Another big one for us is this. Elena had come to me one time. She was in first service, and she said, hey, Pastor Josh, I heard of this thing called hand-to-hand. Do you think it's possible if we could just maybe find a spot that we could do hand-to-hand and, and feed kids on weekends that are starving or struggling with hunger? Absolutely. This is how it started. I said, yeah, absolutely. Two little carts, one little shelf. But because of your sacrificial giving, because of you being people who have a passion to make sure kids have their needs met, Quickly, it grew on and grew on to the point that we as a church said, hey, you know what I think we can do? I think we can say yes to every single kid in our surrounding area, making sure there's not one who goes hungry on the weekend. And you guys know this. You were a part of it. We then found another space. Go ahead and show it. On the other side of the building, we found this nasty old beat up spot. And we said, we believe that we can launch an outreach center out of there where we keep enough food that every single kid in Zealand, Holland is going to have the opportunity to receive hand to hand groceries. And so then we started renovations. We started a miracle offering. We started raising money and we put in an open concept bathroom right there and it works good. We got 
But same thing. Here's people that say, yeah, we want to see kids uh, hunger, be helped on weekends. We want to see, make sure nobody goes hungry. But what it really means is you're going to come in and you're going to cut steel and you're going to move drywall and you're going to get insulation all over yourself and drag it out to the thing. Why? Because we're people who sacrificially give. Because God honors when we sacrifice. So it grew. And uh, go ahead, next slide. Now you see on a regular basis that space is, is full of food and it's, and it's being packed and we're delivering to our public schools. Even through pandemic, we never stopped. Can I get an Amen sacrificial giving is people meeting the need. And uh, you know, last year, last year we did the same thing. We said, hey, we found this organization called Love for a Child. And they provide this amazing camp on the east side. But we don't think it should be just on the east side. We want to see it come to the west side. And then we want to see it go north and south and all over the country. Are you with me? And so last year, through Legacy, during a pandemic, you said, hey, we're going to give sacrificially, and $43,000 was raised and given to them. And at their camp with 40 kids there, they said the majority of the kids accepted Christ when they gave the invitation that week. That's the eternal impact that I'm talking about that happens when we give sacrificially. Are you with me? We wrote it down like this. Uh, I said it like this last week. Our greatest legacies will not be something we build, buy, brand, our 401k, an investment property, uh, something we acquire our best investments will be what we raise. Coming alongside teenagers or what you're raising in your home, your greatest legacy, I believe, will be when you steward what God has given you in young people so that they can make an eternal impact. I, I wrote it down like this. We get so distracted making sure our kids grow up in the right neighborhood and go to the right school and make sure they know sports and can play sports and throw a curveball and they know how to hunt and they know how to fish and they know how to go to the right college. We spend all of this time and energy on this. But I hope that we're not working harder to make sure our kids go to Harvard than making sure they go to heaven. Our kids need to be taught and know God's truth. Can I get an amen today? And that's not only the parents' job, but it's also the church's job to make sure we're coming alongside all generations and making sure they know the truth. Why? Because the truth is the only thing that's going to let them walk in freedom. It's when they know God's truth. Uh, I'll close with this. We have this misconception or this, this dupe that I think happens to us. Is we think this. We think, I don't need to sacrifice because I'm... I'm good. I'm, I'm doing it right. I pray. I worship. I serve. I go to church. All of my Christian ducks are in a row. Why would I need to sacrifice? I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the good thing. Look at me. I'm, I'm good. I'm passing all the tests. I don't need to sacrifice. Look at me. I'm good. I don't need to sacrifice. The person who needs to sacrifice is the one who's like out there messing it up. They should give some more. They should make up for it. They should make up for the way that they're living. Let, let, let them be the one who sacrificed because I'm actually good. I don't need to do that. But that's not how God leads breakthrough. Think about Noah. The scripture about Noah is he's righteous among all the people in his time. He's, he's got all his good ducks in a row. And then God comes in and says, hey, I'm asking you to do this big thing, which provided great freedom and deliverance for his family later. But but no, 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 God, I'm, I'm, you, you're asking me to sacrifice? Dude, I'm, I got all my things in a row. Why would you ask me? Think about David. David's doing a great job as a shepherd boy. He's taking care of the bear. He's taking care of the things. He's got all this stuff. He's asked to go down and deliver some food to his brothers. Hey, bring this down. Okay, cool. But all my ducks are in a row. I'm good. And then Goliath shows up. He could have been like, dude, not my, not my lane. 
I'm not one of the soldiers down here fighting. That's not my thing. But he says, oh, wait a second. Here's an opportunity for me to take ground. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give of myself because that guy's trying to defy the armies of God. And I won't stand for that. Don't be duped to this idea of like, no, I got all my stuff in a row. God, God wouldn't ask more of me because I'm, I'm already good. I'm passing the test. I wrote it down like this. I believe this. God works through faith, obedience, and sacrifice. The moves of God all happen in these tiers. Our obedience, our moving out in faith, but sacrifice. So don't let the enemy lie to you of like, that's not for me because I'm passing all the other tests. No, God works in sacrifice and great fruit comes from that. Can I get an amen? Wrote it down like this and said it last week. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. It takes our participation. It takes us engaging. Uh, We wrote it down like this. A life not lived for others is not a life. The decisions we make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow. The goal isn't to live forever. It's to create something that will. And what we build in our name doesn't last forever, but what we build in his name does. I know every person in here wants to make an eternal impact. I know everybody wants to see the decisions and the things that you do today and this year and in this lifetime. You want to see it go well beyond your life. Well, How do we do it? We, we sow and we plant in the things of God legacy moments where we trust God spiritually that God you're calling us into this and we're believing you and we see great fruit in it amen a couple things that I always always encourage you is this I do not want you to give to the legacy miracle offering I do not want you to give because I've asked you to I do not want you to give because a sermon asked you to I don't want you to give because the church is doing it and that's what we do at the church I only want you to give if God tells you to give. Don't don't do it unless you've heard from God on what he's told you to give. So take the entire month if you have to. We're done kind of preaching about it. Uh, Next week, we got a Christmas sermon that I can't wait to share with you. Uh, But I want you to go to God, just like Jesus said. I don't do anything unless the Father reveals it. I I want God to share to you uh, how he's called you to participate, if he's called you to participate. And then take your time. Take your time. Some of you know right now, like, nope. I've been praying and preparing for this. I can give right now. I know what God told me to give. Definitely give. Uh, but some of you, you got time. Here's what I would say. Business leaders, many of you I know at the end of the year, you're, you're looking over all your numbers and, and it's at the end of the year that you make a decision on what to give. You have time. As long as by midnight on New Year's Eve, uh, your gift is in or your donation is in, it will be on your 2021 charitable uh, tax donation receipt. So as long as you get it in by then, it'll be in there. Uh, but just pray about it. Consider it. I'm telling you to take your time because that's what the scripture tells us to do. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody who's excited to give, who's excited to do it. I love the passion translation says it this way. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty, Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. It says, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Excited to see how it's going to turn out. People who are going to give saying, I'm so into this because I can't wait to see how God is going to move in this. If you've ever planned the perfect Christmas present, 
right? And you finally give it to him, and you're just like, I can't. This is the hilarious part. This is the, the eager, I can't wait to see what they're going to do when they see this thing. That's what God, that's how he wants us to give generously. I can't wait to give into this because I can't wait to see the fruit. We just went through a whole several years of what God has done. More is on the way for us. Give into this knowing that I can't wait to see what God is going to do in our high schools, in our teenagers, and in generations to come. Can I get an amen? So you can give online, you can give in the giving boxes, you can text to give, all the different ways. You guys know how to do that, but pray about it, see what God would say, and then give cheerfully, knowing that we're going to be able to celebrate it even next year. Amen? Let me pray for you, and we'll dismiss. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the way that you love us and lead us and speak to us. God, we ask that you show each and every one of us what you're calling us to do, what you're calling us to plant. Lord, we understand that if we don't plant now, we can't harvest tomorrow, and God, we don't want this generation to be categorized as a dead category or a group that we can't go after. But instead, God, we want to stand up and stand with them. Lord, I thank you that you're doing it. In Jesus' name, amen.